The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to High FM where we always have exciting stuff and uh, technology absolutely gives us <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff on a regular basis. The big news this week, as always, is, is the rapid, incredible and fast advances around um, all the chat assistance and virtual assistance and AI around chat GPT and the various open AI type assisted uh, type of products that are hitting the market at the most insane rate. So what we're going to do during the Tech Talk Cafe segment, we're going to explore a little bit of the statistics about this. Remember, we're talking about a six-month-old technology, and that's how incredibly fast it's moved. And what it, what it does, how do you use it, and where it's going, and just give you a little insight to what's actually happened over the last little while. But it's popping up everywhere, and we'll talk a lot more about that later. We also got a great little sound gadget that we're going to talk about, and that is the Sonus Era 100, a brand new smart speaker from Sonus. Always expensive, but always good quality. Quick review and insight on that one. But before we get there, um, something that cuts close to home for all of us. Netflix are going to crack down. I hate that word because it sounds hopelessly negative. But essentially, Netflix have grown to the point where they're looking to improve their revenue, but they're struggling to get a lot more subscribers. In fact, they had a slight loss of subscribers over the last couple of years, couple of months. And um, it's showing. And what they're trying to do, because they've figured out that somewhere along the line, and interestingly enough, I've seen uh, – what's the right word? I've seen a dashboard of pirate users and other users around the world in live time at a particular client of ours in in uh, in Netherlands, funny enough. And um, they know. They know exactly who's doing what. So when you connect or you share your password – and you connect from two separate places. You think it's uh, benign, but guaranteed Netflix know. They know that you have logged on from three different territories or three different houses. And what they're starting to do is, you know, realize that if there are two separate households sharing a password, they're losing out on one subscriber. So they're going for this. And unfortunately, the... It's coming, it's coming quite fast. They've been trying it around the world. They've slowed it down a little bit in the US because I think they're very scared to try to alienate their users. But what they're proposing is that if they can't beat it, well, then they're going to try to make some money out of it. So there are times where it's fairly legitimate to share your password. You've got a kid, he goes to university somewhere else or lives next door, whatever the case may be, he's in a slightly physical, he's on holiday or you're on holiday, you want to use your, your Netflix subscription to watch whatever you want to watch, and then you land up looking like you've logged in from two or three places. Not a big problem, but what Netflix are going to do is that they're going to uh, charge you a little extra for that service. So if you want to log on from various different places, you're going to now have to pay for that um, going forward. They haven't quite fleshed out exactly what that means. They've trialed it in a couple of places. But simply put, the days of sharing your password and getting the whole family or some friends of yours to share in and share the cost of your subscription for Netflix 
are going away fast. So expect to be sent an email by Netflix if you are, you know, legitimately using your Netflix in two homes, your holiday home, if you that way inclined. Um, and, you know, even if your kid's using it somewhere else or you using it at the office and at home, you're going to get a little notification to say it's now time to push to pay a little extra to give you the ability to log on in more than one or two places. It's something that uh, DSTV have been trying to get on top of, and sharing of passwords is ubiquitous in this space, and there's just no question that it's going to change and evolve over the next little while. If they ban it, it creates all sorts of crazy problems because then you land up with like DSTV where you can only stream to one device at a time which makes no sense if there's two or three of you in the family, whereas Netflix seem to understand that. But what they're saying is location will now be tracked. Well, it is tracked. They know what's going on right now. They can actually model this and predict, and they've done so, and they could probably double their subscriber base if they completely stopped it. But let's watch the space, but do expect it to change pretty quickly. And in the space of, of entertainment and streaming, some not-so-great news, which you all probably know about if you're a, a DSTV subscriber. And the prices have gone up, unfortunately. So from 1 April, the prices have gone up between 3.2 and 7.5%, depending on your package. And considering considering the, the changes in the RAND, considering the costs globally of everything going up, I mean, over the last little while, you've got to be hiding under a rock not to understand that there's been global inflation. Some countries which haven't had inflation since the 70s have had inflation 10% plus. So the cost of everything have gone up, the cost of production have gone up, and generally um, it makes sense that the cost of acquisition of all the content that DSTV supplies to us has gone up. So prices, it's not. I think it's not unreasonable, but uh, in these crazy times where things are, Everything is going up, and the inflation in South Africa, I read this morning, is pretty rampant anyway. Um, and our salaries inflation is definitely not as as uh, aggressively going up as, as the costs are going up. It's tough. It's tough to get something that, um, you you know, gives you lots of entertainment and is really, I actually believe, a great platform for the amounts and types of entertainment that they supply has now definitely gone up. But there is a little bit of light. I'll just chat a bit about that. Um, I was checking out something called DSTV Internet. And if you go to Get DSTV uh, or you look for DSTV Internet, there are some really smart bundles out there which can actually, if you've got a fiber connection, maybe not for you, but if you don't, or even if you do, it may actually work out really well. So that if you start at their top, top premium product from DSTV, for nine ninety nine a month, you get 400 gigs of data. Um, oh, no, sorry, the 999 is 220 gigs of data, which you can then use for streaming. Um, it comes with its own modem. It comes with everything that you need, and all you need to do is plug it in, connect up, and you can stream up to 220 gigs a month. For 1049 a month, you get 400 gigs of data. Now, considering if you're on the premium bundle with uh, DSTV, you're paying close to that anyway, depending on your various options. So here you're getting 400 gigs of, of Internet for basically nothing, which tends to cut the cost of your overall um, subscription quite considerably. So that's one way you can control the cost, despite the fact that DSTV's gone up. If you subscribe to this, you get a premium bundle. 
you get DSTV premium subscription, you get a modem, and 400 gigs of data a month for very little more than the actual cost of um, just a standard DSTV subscription. And if you check it out on their website, they go all the way down to basically uh, 200 and something rand, 229 rand. So really a great way to combine internet with DSTV and come up with a really, really big saving overall because a, a you know a 400 terabyte or an uncapped fiber connection of that scale can cost you over a thousand rand a month. So there's some bad news coupled with a way to turn it into good news. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and then I'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but there's no question that smart AI assistants have become really a hot topic and it's going to affect all our lives and we're all going to have to use it. So stay tuned straight after this. We'll, we'll go through some of that and uh, hopefully got some great hints and tips and some experience that I've had on this platform. So we'll be back after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on, ChatGPT, AI, voice prompt assistance, search, Google, Microsoft, so much happening in this space, so much confusion. I've had long conversations with people who say, what's the point? You know, Google search doesn't, that's all I use. I need to know stuff. But the whole space around virtual assistants or AI virtual assistants, lots of controversy there, pluses, negatives, some ethical and certainly other societal concerns around jobs and whatnot. But every new technology or every sort of evolution or revolution of technology has these these elements to it. But I think from your point of view, from my point of view, from the average consumer's point of view, what we're looking for and what I'm looking for, so I'll assume that that's not that uncommon, is something that helps me do what I do in any event in a smarter more effective, more efficient way. And we've all lived through this era of really dumb uh, chat assistants. So everyone's got the, the WhatsApp line or you land up on a website and there's a chat, there's an assistant and you need something and you start talking and you realize you're just dealing with a very rigid script which offers absolutely no assistance unless you want really basic stuff. Where is my order number 17? And I'll say, it's in process, yada, yada, yada. If there's a problem, starts getting, uh, let's get hold of a, a human being to try to figure out what the hell's going on with this stuff really quickly. And that goes for banks. And in fact, I think for the most part, I don't know about you, it'd be interesting to hear what people say. But essentially, I ignore them. Don't use them at all. Now, the future of this type of automated bot or chat bot or some form of artificial intelligence, AI assistant, you know, having all these sort of super science fiction-y things going on has begun. And what is really, really, really interesting, it's, it's just begun. And I mean, the first open AI chatbot thing was launched in November of 2022. And it started off really with very few users, but within two months, it had hit 100 million users and up to 96 million active users a month, which is absolutely insane. So when you look at the, at the statistics around this, for a technology that's essentially four, five months old, six months old, you now have 100 
million people using it, give or take, every single month. Also, the statistics show that ChatGPT has an accuracy of 85% plus. It's been used from a demo point of view to answer all sorts of exams. It's been used and trained to do an incredible number of things. And with an accuracy of 85%, that's pretty good. That's a first-class pass for most of us in all our academic careers. And it can write flawless code snippets. So in other words, it can help coders write parts of their code absolutely perfectly. And it has become an incredibly useful tool for software engineering. And this is something that is almost utterly and and completely impossible to ignore. What a lot of people don't realize is that Microsoft actually invested $10 billion in OpenAI. They're the creators of ChatGPT and own 46% of that company. And the, 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 the interesting point around that is simply that one of the major players in the technology space, I mean, who does not use Office, who does not use some form of Microsoft product from enterprise um, all the way through to cloud, they are without question one of the big players in the, in the market, along with Google, along with Amazon, along with many others. But Microsoft are certainly very significant, and they've put an enormous amount of money, enormous amount of time. And in fact, if you download the latest version of their browser, OpenAI is built in straight away. I'm talking to you on um, Skype, and guess what? They've built it into Skype. There's a chatbot built directly into Skype, and you can ask all sorts of interesting questions directly in the Skype interface. So expect to see more and more. I'm trialing some of the new versions of Office, and that's got uh, chat GPT built in. So writing letters, writing emails, answering emails might start becoming somewhat automated within the space of business. There is a huge element of risk to that. A lot of cybersecurity companies are starting to realize that they might have missed a bit of a trick because if you're using your chat GPT or your chatbot interface to ask business questions, so you upload some of your proprietary business information into a global open database and you start asking it to help you analyze and assist and, and write code, there could be massive, massive risk in, in sort of those that control this and take that information and use it for you know, all sorts of competitive advantage or essentially steal patents and information from companies. So a lot of companies right now are blocking OpenAI or any form of chat GPT uh, usage, which for me is is a significant problem because in many ways this type of stuff can be used to improve your business considerably. But the ethics and the security around it is something something this new that obviously Microsoft, OpenAI, Google and all the boys are playing or paying enormous attention to. So expect to see a lot of space going on there. But the interesting statistic, and this is where, again, I, I spoke about it, uh, I think, in the last show, where ChatGPT is not Google. It actually right now does not have any access to Google. We'll talk about that in a minute. So 
when you, if you try to use ChatGPT as a type of search engine, you're going to get very crazy results. You'll get this written story, which makes no sense. It, it, it starts dreaming and, and hallucinating, and you get some really crazy stuff. And people send, sort of say, oh, well, in that case, this is not very useful. But it is not a search engine. That is the first and most important thing. Around 300 billion words were fed into the ChatGPT system in multiple languages. One of the craziest use cases I've used it for is to do a proper translation of um, a foreign language into English and vice versa. And then when I've checked that foreign language through a, a highly sophisticated grammar and spell checking and tone checking service, it's come out with absolute 100% accuracy. So if you want to translate from one thing to another, translate is great, but it simply translates words. But ChatGPT actually can do it in a way that sounds perfectly natural and perfectly human. And this is where it starts getting really, really, really scary. Students, people, um, you know, kids at school are using ChatGPT and Advarsity to write massively impressive documents using only the OpenAI system. And at, as an aside, what's happened is the plagiarism uh, platforms have now starting to detect AI-written speech. At the same time, many, many workarounds in order to take the AI-generated speech and make it more natural and more human have also popped up on the web, which then uses AI to mimic human speech or human writing in a way that makes perfect sense. So you can imagine what's going on here. It's quite crazy. And you can actually beat all these various systems using the various tools that have been um, created. And I expect this to get even more and more uh, common as we go along, which is really quite important. But the main challenges of using ChatGPT it is extremely powerful in churning out essays, as I've just explained. It can solve pretty incredible maths problems. It can help students do their homework pretty much without any effort. Just type in the stuff and out pops the answer. And a lot of, a lot of researchers are, are trying to figure out if this actually poses a risk to students' creativity, problem solving abilities. And I know that many students, many schools and universities have Banned the use of ChatGPT. The problem is, how are they figuring out that that stuff is entirely ChatGPT uh, Chat driven? What I have found, and this is something that I believe that everybody should learn, and there's a lot of lot of information on the web, a lot of YouTube videos and TikToks around this, is that you need to become very expert in in using ChatGPT or any form of these bots with what you ask and how you refine and the types of information that you have. And the inf and what is generated then, the quality of what's generated is based on what you've asked. And remember the old adage, if you can't if you don't ask the right question, you're not going to get the right answer. So you you actually have to formulate and understand your topic extremely well. And you can't just ask random what if questions because what will come out will make no sense because you didn't know what you were asking in the first place. So the main characteristic of using ChatGPT is the quality and the nature and the style 
and the methodology you use within the prompting setup. So if you start off with a simple ask and then continually refine it because you, you can actually understand your topic and read it, what you can do is save an enormous amount of time in the actual physical creation of whatever you're doing. So whether it's an essay, whether it's an article, whether it's a coding piece, <clears throat> whatever it is that you've asked the, the open AI or the, the AI chat GPT bot to do, you need to have known what you're asking and understand the output in a way that makes a lot of sense. So from that point of view, I don't believe it has any effect on creativity. It has no effect on problem-solving issues. It's simply another tool to get stuff done really quickly. And I've done that on many, many cases when I've needed to do stuff. There are a lot of, a a there are a lot of AI um, platforms that if you want a presentation about a lot of different things. What is interesting, and I'm going to get into that in a few seconds, but what is very, very, very interesting is that Slowly but surely, they're opening up these chat GPT platforms to the Internet. And how they're going to do it is what they call a new open AI plugin. I've, I've asked to become part of the um, the sort of closed user base for it for now. I've put my name on the waiting list. But essentially, what they're talking about is you can add a plugin where you can say to um, chat GPT, for example, you can start a conversation and, and ask them to plan a trip to Rome. The ChatGPT plugin, which is using one of the big trip plugins, one of the trip connections, will then go access all up-to-date information about the availability and price of flights, hotels, vacations, car rentals, activities, and everything else around that and build you a detailed itinerary of exactly how much it would cost, which is the best flights to take, which is the best uh, things to do based on the information that's in on the internet, which is a whole nother level use. And they're talking about plugins from companies like Expedia, Kayak, um, OpenTable, you can book a restaurant, um, so many other things that, that make so many, so many sense and Zapier, I don't know if you've tried Zapier, but that's another useful uh, travel tip. So once that starts happening, you start to see the real power of what OpenAI um, does. And the question is, how does this happen? How does the, the Bing API search information along the, the web? And simply put, this plug, what it does, it connects the requests and the knowledge base that's built in in, in um, ChatGPT to information and current facts because currently the ChatGPT database is is entirely trained. So it's only information that has been given to it and an extensive amount of information has been given to it, but it's not as up-to-date and is not as connected as using the web. Now, I expect to see in the next six months that is going to grow enormously, and you're going to see that the demand from users is going to drive that incredibly. So we're going to see more and more um, access to more and more databases coming out of this type of platform. And I do believe that we're going to see accuracies, and a lot of researchers have predicted that the accuracies of ChatGPT are going to climb very, very, very close to 100%, which is 
pretty insane. So what is the future of the whole platform? I believe that, honestly, and all the research that I've seen and all the experts are saying, very simply put, that this is going to become an integral part of absolutely everything we do on the Internet, whether it exists on your phone, whether it exists in business, they're building it into office platforms, so it will then be able to intelligently answer emails, hopefully not send them for you without your human interaction. It will be able to give you suggestions, information, and improvements. It can take tables of information, analyze. It can research and find information without your input at all. So you'll have, essentially, exactly like science fiction movies, you'll have a little online assistant that can go out and do whatever you want. So you say, hi, whatever, like Siri now, you know, open a, an app, very simple, very basic, and half the time doesn't understand what you're saying. But imagine one where you can speak directly to it, tell it exactly what you're looking for. I need a booking at this restaurant or a restaurant similar to this for 7 o'clock tomorrow evening uh, for four people. And it'll just go off, do it, give you a couple of options. You pick one and you say, done. I need to fly to New York for a conference. I need a hotel in this area. I need that. I need this. I need the next thing. Boom. And off you go. Same story. Everything's done. Options, whatever you like. It's a bit of a challenge for, for personal assistance. But essentially, this type of technology will become pretty much ubiquitous, I believe, before the end of the year. And you'll start using it to solve and create and to work through issues and problems and needs in an incredible way. You can even do your home shopping like that. Imagine that. It's all connected to the various 60-minute delivery systems. And you'll say, who's got the lowest price for mayonnaise? I would like to have three bottles delivered in the next 60 minutes. And off you go. The AI chatbot or the AI assistant will figure it out, send it off, it's connected to your bank, it's connected to your credit card, it's connected to the internet, and it'll do that. It'll actually place the order and send it to you without any intervention of yours. So obviously, voice recognition is is definitely the next thing, and we're going to see a lot of change. So watch this space. It, un it fortunately, depending on your perspective or not, is going to change absolutely everything that we do with computers and internet and how we access everything. So we'll be back uh, with some much simpler technology. Great sound straight after this. Um, so stay tuned and find out a little bit more about the new Sonus and range. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Right, moving on to my gadget of the week and super impressed, I must admit. It is the new Sonus Era 100 smart speaker. And simply put, Sonus is a brand that has always been, it's not high-end in, in, in the high-end definition. So you're not talking about stupid expensive, but it is not the lower end of smart speakers or speakers and sound systems pretty much anywhere. They've always sort of held the mid-range. And just to, to put that in perspective, the Sonus one, the Sonus um, Era 100, which is their new sort of entry-level speaker in that space, 
retails for six and a half thousand rand in South Africa. So a pair of them, if you're going for a stereo pair, is going to set you back around about twelve thousand rand. In the context of good quality audio, that's not stupidly expensive, but it's not inexpensive. It's a commitment. And if you're looking for something that brings sound to the home and using the latest technology, streaming, connecting across a multi-home system, managing you know, either to play sound or to use it for a rear speaker for a decent, uh, decent television system or as your main TV speakers. The new, the new Sonus have always been really good that, in that space. And the Sonus one, which I listened to, was never terribly convinced about. The sound was decent. It sounded clear, but it wasn't the best sounding device that I'd seen in that sort of price range. The new, Sonus 100, the Era 100, has significantly improved, improved on that. Sonus say they started from scratch. They redesigned this completely. It competes with the Apple, um, the new Apple, t- the new Apple sound unit. Uh, it, there are a number in the space, but what has improved around, what has improved with the new Era 100? It has really got a big and open sound. Incredible how a little speaker can sound as big, but when you look in, you look through the specs, they've got tweeters that radiate, they've got some very clever sound optimization stuff using their, their, um, app. And overall, my impression is that this is a very engaging, clear, smooth, and very rhythmically pleasing speaker. A lot of these sound mechanical, they sound a little artificial, the treble seems to disengage, and the biggest challenge, I mean, for example, and I'm I'm not naming and shaming in any way, shape, or form, but a lot of people use the Bose platforms, and I found with their tiny little speakers, they're aesthetically amazing, they look so cool, and the big subwoofers, you get a little bit of a, a boom tiz type sound, which for me is not particularly natural. The new Sonus definitely avoids that. It's clean, it's smooth, it's well integrated, and um, well balanced. What they have added over the previous generation is full Bluetooth streaming using the latest version of uh, Bluetooth 5, and that makes things really simple. You walk in with your smartphone, it connects, and you play whatever you want to play. It connects to your TV via Bluetooth. It also connects via Wi-Fi, which is very cool, and the sound quality via Wi-Fi from the various streaming platforms is excellent. Very, very impressive. It comes in black and white, which I've, you know, depending on your aesthetics, what you want, and it, the older version did not pair. This one, now you can use a stereo pair, which increases the sound incredibly, and you can stick them all over the house and play different things in different places using the Sonus app. So, all in all, it's well built, very nicely put together. It rivals the Apple Apple HomePod 2. I think it actually sounds a little bit more natural. I haven't spent a lot of time with the new Apple HomePod 2, but um, Apple tends to work extremely well with Apple. It also will work with the Alexa voice prompt. Alexa is pretty good, I must admit. Not as well known in South Africa as many other places, but it works really well. Um, it comes with a lot of the Amazon products, again, not particularly uh, well sold in South Africa, but I've tried them a lot, and it works extremely well. They've got lo- as long as you stay within the parameters of that jackpot, it, you know, you can change tracks, you can ask to look up music, and if it's connected to the internet, it's really, really simple. So it's slightly bigger, 
It's not terribly much. It's slightly taller, not physically much bigger, but has deep base. I was really impressed with the quality of the base out of such a small little box. In stereo, much better. I've only got one at the moment, but uh, we're going to try another one and see if we can get that going. But you also get something which Sonos called their True Play Room Calibration, which optimizes the sound depending on where you've placed it in the room. And this works really well. Unoptimized, little boomy in the bass, little unclear in the voice, and you, you go through the optimization process, and it's really pretty impressive how it, it does that. Um, you can use the tuning option using the mic inside the Eero, Eero 100 for the calibration, and it works really well. The iOS one can be a little bit more effective because you use the iPhone's mic from where you're sitting, and I think it tunes extremely well. With the Android users, I haven't tried it yet with Android, but I will. You have to use the quick tuning option, which is built in, and it uses the mic inside the Aero 100 for calibration. Not as good because it's picking up not sound where you're sitting, but sound where the, where the speaker is sitting, which either way, I believe it's going to work really well. So if you're looking for a smart speaker, a speaker that has all the latest technologies, sounds really good. As I said, it's not high-end, but certainly can give you smooth, clear, and pretty loud sound anywhere you want to. It's tiny as long as you can get power to it. You can plug it in anywhere. It connects to your Wi-Fi. It connects to your Bluetooth. It's smooth. It's rhythmical. It has a really pleasant sound, and it's, for me, significantly better than the old Sonus one. So they're available pretty much anywhere right now. Uh, check it out online. And I think they have a, they, there's a bigger model. There's subwoofers. There's stands. There's lots of accessories. There's sound bars, which are pretty good. Um, so Sonus definitely seem to be moving up the, the stack. The products are sounding good. They're looking good. They've got great reliability, and they're relatively affordable within that space. Not super cheap. You can get soundbars a lot cheaper, but these units used in the space, in the place of soundbars, I believe would actually give you a nice, a much nicer sound, and it's more flexible, and you can play music on them, and just lots of things. So check out the new Sonus uh, Era range, the 100 specifically. I think it's great value. The 300 is a lot more expensive, a lot more capable, much bigger unit, much better base, but generally also a lot more expensive. So we'll be back straight after this for a last little shoot for better writing. And um, we will give you a quick live read then, and we'll be back after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So moving on to my last little, I think, a great app. Now, I do a lot of writing both for business and for technology and articles and things. And my mind moves away quicker than my fingers. So I land up with all sorts of uh, grammatical errors. Punctuation is definitely not one of my strong points. I leave that out. My spelling also takes a little bit of a knock because the fingers are not as quick as the head. And I use a product called Grammarly to improve my writing. Now, Microsoft does a good job. They've got a lot of assistance built in. So if you use Word, it, it, you know, it does hint and give you a lot of information. But if you're looking for something to take your writing and, and all forms of writing, your email writing, all forms of writing to the next level, catch spelling mistakes, then have a look at Grammarly. It's a great premium alternative to the the spell checkers and the standard spell checkers that come with any office package. 
And it uses, again, artificial intelligence. But what it does, it reviews spelling, grammar, punctuation, clarity, engagement. You, you set the parameters. Is this formal? Is this friendly? What type of things you're writing for? And all sorts of delivery mistakes in English texts. You can detect plagiarism. It's pretty useful for that. And it also suggests replacements and identify for the identified errors. And not just replacements for spelling, but for entire sentence construction, wording, you name it. And it absolutely improves the level of your writing significantly. It, it makes things concise if needs be, makes things wordy if you want it to be, and does it in a way that hangs together that adds a polish to anything that you write. It it works across in the, your entire ecosystem. So whether you're sending emails, whether you're typing searches in Word, um, on in, in a Windows or a Mac, it's, it's quite irrelevant. There's a plugin for Chrome, so when you're typing anything there, it checks it for you. It's there's a desktop plugin which gives you the ability, whatever you do on your desktop, wherever you use text, to check and to check your spelling and everything else. And obviously plugs into the big Office programs, Microsoft Office or even 365 to give you a full, full comprehensive spell checking and more platform. So check it out. Grammarly definitely will take your your writing to absolutely the next level and um, help you. It's not a free product. It's anything. It's quite expensive overall. It costs about $166 for a year's worth of subscription. But depending on you know what you do and how you do it, it's not a, a ridiculously amount, expensive amount of money to spend on absolutely improving your writing and making sure that you always sound smart, professional, and pretty flawless. Simple to install. You just go to the website. You can download all the various little plugins to your 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 whatever it is that you use on your computer, and it's it's a simple one to go for. So check out Grammarly. I think. For those that work in with words and anyone who does business presentations or any reports of any sort, this will make a huge difference to how you work, where you work, and what you do with your stuff. And on that note, I'm going to wrap it up for the day. We're going to come back next week with uh, – I'm trying to get a good guest in to get uh, some insight into the whole chat GPT stuff from a technical and practical point of view. And, of course, all the latest gadgets, gizmos, and the latest news on technology that affects your life or makes your life a lot easier. So stay tuned to Tech Talk right here on Chai FM, Thursdays 11 to 12.